Welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, episode 62 today. We are going to discuss cost segregation studies. So those of you that are familiar with them, also referred to as cost segs, we are going to jump into this great show here. But more exciting for me and Chris is that we have one of our favorite return guests on with us, who if you haven't met her before, you will meet her in a few. But before we do that, let's take a brief moment, as always, and thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by The Mortgage Shop. Are you looking to qualify for an investment credit loan without jumping through hoops? That's easy. They have loans with LTV up to 89.99%. Exploring their products and discovering how they can work for you is simple. Just visit mortgage.shop or call 865-325-2566 and tell them TTF sent you. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast. As always, you know where you're at. You got here some way, shape, or form, hopefully at your own will, and nobody forced you to do so. However, speaking of forcing people to do things, Chris Picuro, welcome back to your own show, sir. How are you today? Wow, thanks, John. I appreciate it. It's awesome to be, to be back. I am really excited about today's show. We have a special guest. We haven't had a special guest in a while. Are you, uh, are you implying that I'm not special? Is that what you mean by that? We all okay, know I'll, special in many I'll, ways. I will take that. I will take that. Okay. All right. Well, tell, tell everybody who's actually joining us on today's show. Besides well, us. really, yeah, I'm very excited because um, this show, obviously, in the teaching tax flow community, is meant for the taxpayers all over the United States. And it's sometimes we get that opportunity to bring someone from our private CPA practice, someone that has knowledge at a very high level from a technical tax perspective, and bring them onto this show and share that with the masses. As he's coughing, by the way. Let's let's go ahead and be honest with that one. Chris was he was forcing people to do things. We forced him to take a few moments of silence last week and get over your uh, your little germies that you had. So welcome yeah. back to reality. Well, you know, uh, that 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 it's that time of year. But anyway, so one of the strategies that we use in our private CPA practice, and we probably see over a hundred a year, uh, is something called a cost segregation study. And from a tax planning and strategy perspective. It's probably the number one bang for your dollar tax mitigation strategy where you look at the cost of the strategy and the tax benefit. Now, not everyone's going to be able to utilize a cost segregation study, but that's what we're going to dive into today. I'm super excited to have Heidi Henderson from Engineer Tax Service join us, and we're in for a treat, John. And Heidi, obviously, welcome back. So you, you've been on, I can't remember exactly what number or episode we did with you guys a while back, but it's mm-hmm. it's been a hot minute. So it how's things going over there in your world? It has been a minute. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. Um, I always enjoy working with you and I always enjoy the podcast as well. We just always have fun banter conversation, a little banter back and forth. So thank you for having me. Um, yeah, lots of continued growth and expansion. And, you know, our founder, Julio, one of the fabulous things about him that he says in our board meetings on an ongoing basis is... I never want to be the next blockbuster. We have to pivot. We have to grow. How do we do that? How do we stay ahead of the curve? How do we keep evolving? 
and how do we bring the best the best uh, services, the best solutions to our clients and our clients are both taxpayers, but they're also CPA firms. Um, so we sort of have these two arms and we just, we do everything humanly possible to identify the need in the CPA industry and say, is there a way that we can help with that? And if so, what does that look like? And that's just what we continue to do through our evolving growth and increase in services that we bring to the CPA industry. So it's been a fun ride. It's been for me 13 years and uh, I thoroughly enjoy it. And if anybody's too young to have ever visited a Blockbuster, um, <laughs> I think there's a Netflix documentary on that. Um, just watch it. We won't we won't spoil it for you, but uh, I guess spoil a little bit. They failed. <laughs> they, John, they're, um, yeah, they're no longer there's... present to the best of my knowledge. There is yeah. one. I think it was in like Bend, Oregon was the last Blockbuster alive. It was fascinating. And I could just see a little John Chapolsky running through those aisles trying to sneak into the adult area past that curtain with his mom with yelling at him. Uh, you know, it's, it, remember, uh, remember the, that the you got fined if you didn't rewind your video before you returned it. Oh, yeah. That's oh, right. man. Time to rewind. But, you know, oh, this is man. one of those things, right? Can you imagine trying to tell somebody what a podcast was like 20 years ago? They look yeah. at you and be like, well, how do I rewind it? How do I, how do I go back? You know, how do, how do I watch this thing? Does, is everybody watching it? Well, obviously that's the hope, but. Oh my gosh. Yes. So we we could talk for three hours on Blockbuster, but more yeah. than story, you don't want to be it. So So I want to jump into the and, and again, excited to have Heidi back. Um, wanna jump into cost segregation studies and typically taxpayers aren't going to get access to someone like Heidi or someone at Engineer Tax Service directly. They're gonna work with their accountant, tax pro. We have a lot of tax pros that listen to the show also. So if you want an introduction, uh, just let us know. Um but Heidi, can you give us a uh, an idea of why cost segregation studies became more popular since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017? And then yeah. maybe two or three typical uses of them that uh, the, the normal taxpayer might see, like the short-term rental loophole or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's kind of loaded questions, Chris. I could talk for 45 minutes on those two questions. <laughs> so let me give you the highlight. We're, we're aiming for 30,000 feet, but I'm going to try to simplify this as much as possible. Um, that's all right. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, and we do a ton of this work. So uh, we have like, okay, what are the what are the FAQs, the, the questions everybody asks me? One of the first things, if we talk about first, again, 30,000 what essentially is cost segregation? I compared, if we're talking to a taxpayer, to the difference between filing a 1040EZ and taking your standard deduction. You know, when we were talking about having a postcard to file your tax return, take your standard deduction. It's great, super easy. You can do it yourself. But if you have some other write-offs, maybe you start to have your own side business or you've got some little gig going and maybe you can write off some mileage on your car and maybe you have a home office and you have a few other deductions. Maybe those deductions are actually a little bit higher than that standard deduction. So you can save some money on your taxes. Great. Now you can file a 1040, itemize your deductions. Totally an option that the IRS allows. Uh, the only caveat is you actually have to save your receipts. You need to track those costs. You need to know what they were. You have to prove them. That's on, that's on the taxpayer. And then if you can prove that, you can actually take a higher deduction. That's how I explain cost seg. 
cost seg, essentially, if you do not do a cost seg and you buy a building, it's as if we're just taking a standard deduction for that, that asset. Okay, you buy your building. If it's commercial, it's 39 years. Take it easy. CPA can do that very quickly. Drop it on the return and take your standard deduction. The cost seg is going in and saying, well, actually, we can take a much larger deduction if we itemize those and say, yeah, well, I didn't actually buy a building for $2 million. I bought about 20,000 different things, which includes carpet and some window coverings and appliances and cabinets and a couple toilets. Everything that's included, those are not, we know, considered to be real estate. So why would we depreciate those over 39 years when these are things that we can write off or have a useful life like carpet, you know, of five years, and then write it off much more quickly. But again, it falls on having to have the data and the itemized breakout of, okay, well, I just bought a $2 million building. I wonder how much I paid for that toilet. I guarantee you, you don't know. And your CPA certainly doesn't know because that's the <laughs> other question. So why doesn't my CPA do this for me? When's the last time your CPA knew how much the windows in your building, you, how much you paid for the windows in that building you just bought? Um, that's not going to happen. So that's essentially where we come into play is to do those breakdowns. Now, what happened is, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act occurred, and I call that, we, we literally just gave COSAG a steroid injection. It's like, we are just going to just blow this thing up, and now we got bonus depreciation. And we have so much confusion, so I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this podcast, because people are asking me, well, I hear COSAG's going away now. Like, this is, or like, COSAG's going away, it's fading, you know, it was 100%, and now it's going to nothing, and it's going to be gone, and we can't do this anymore. No! COSEG's been here for years. COSEG's not going anywhere. Bonus depreciation is what simply says, we itemize all of these assets that you have. Maybe I pull out, let's call it 25% is five-year assets, personal property that you can write off right away. Bonus depreciation applies to anything with a useful life that's less than 20 years. So once we do the cost seg and then we have these categories of assets, all of a sudden those assets now qualify for a bonus deduction write-off, which allows you to take a really large sum in the first year. So we book it as five years. You actually, if it's 100% bonus, you get to take 100% of that five-year property in year one. This year, 2023, Bonus depreciation is 80%. So you take 80% year one. 2024 goes to 60%. So 60% of that five-year property is taken in year one. The rest, the, the, the remaining 40% of that is then taken over the rest of that five-year cycle. So even with bonus, if there's no bonus depreciation, we've, again, done cost seg for 30 years, cost segregation still has significant value of giving us this upfront deduction and this inflation on what we can claim there. Um, it's just the bonus is going to impact the first year benefit of how that applies. And right. so, and go ahead, Chris. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and that's something that people have to consider, understand is, if you're listening to this, don't get upset at your accountant. This is an engineering function. It's yeah. not necessarily a tax part of preparing a tax return when you're breaking out the components of a, of a property. And um, and you're right. Just because bonus depreciation is going down to sixty percent now, we're we got an election year coming up next year. So, mm -hmm. I, my you know, I, I my personal opinion is I think it's going to get put back uh, in some way, shape, or form. But that's just my personal opinion. 
Yeah. Um, well, I was going to mention that, Chris, because there is actually a bill in front of the House right now that includes an extension to 100% bonus depreciation, as well as a fix for this R&D amortization rule. Completely different topic we can talk about on a different podcast. Uh, but both of those are in a bill that the House is reviewing right now and does have a lot of support on both sides. And also, given that it's an election year, yeah, you know, there might be a little bit of um, uh, uh, a gain for actually passing something like that. So we, mm-hmm. we do anticipate there's a very good chance we'll see a 100% bonus come back. And Heidi, here's actually a question for you, too. So a lot of our community members, um, you know, they, their focus is investing in short-term rentals. So mm-hmm. say, for example, I know we mentioned, you know, there's a, a lifespan, say, of carpet. Um, does it get down to the nitty-gritty of like, I mean, counting nails theoretically, but then also in the short-term space, I mean, what does that mean for um, like furnishings? Mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody's you know, out there wondering that. Does that apply to that as well or no? Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, it's been pretty interesting because back to, we've had cost for years, now we have bonus. 100% bonus creates this big, huge lump sum of tax benefit immediately. So what that did is because you have a, first year large benefit, it made COSEG more applicable to inexpensive properties. So historically, yeah, we're doing COSEG on buildings that are millions of dollars, big, huge profits. Everybody's in COSEG for years if they can use the benefit. The bonus, because of this big lump sum, all of a sudden, a, a regular, normal person who goes out and says, hey, I'm going to invest in real estate and buy this this you know short-term rental for $250,000. Five years ago, you would have never done a cost tag on that. It, the, 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 the cost of benefit ratio didn't really pencil out. So two factors. One, the, the growth of, and here's back to my very first comment, of having to pivot, having to be innovative and having to get better at what we do we have first off been able to build systems and processes to to make our systems more efficient and make it more cost effective to do these types of studies. And secondarily, the bonus depreciation inflates that first year benefit to all of a sudden, wow, it makes sense to do a cost tag on a $250,000 short-term rental. So there's part one, part two, part three then, is then there's also this sort of new rule with real estate investing, that if you do short-term rentals, it is actually treated as a business versus a long-term rental is treated as real estate investment. So what happens is you have a much higher threshold of hours and involvement with that real estate in order for it to be considered active. And for listeners, active participation is king when we're talking about real estate investing and we're talking about if a taxpayer can use the, de- the depreciation against their ordinary income. So that's the key. Hey, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a, you know, who am barber making, you know, $700,000 a year and paying 50% income tax. What can I do to invest in something and be able to offset all of that high taxable income? The, the way that it pencils out is really pretty astronomical because we are seeing investors buy buildings, do a cost seg, and the tax savings, depending on what state you're in, the tax savings can oftentimes be very close to what your down payment was on the house. So it's like you're almost getting a rental property for free 
And then you've got your returns on that. And we start to see investors just build, 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 grow, grow, buy, buy. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's the short-term rental loophole, for lack of a better term, short-term rental tax strategy. Um, I am going to steal the itemized versus uh, standard deduction. I wrote that down. Thank you. Hopefully, yeah. if, if anyone hears me say that, they don't know that I stole it from you. I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> so that's that's good. One of the things to consider, too, is that when I talk to real estate investors or just investors all the time is a cost segregation study might create a loss that you might not be able to use in the current year if you have passive activity losses. Mm -hmm. But imagine this. Imagine you bought a rental property, even if it's a passive activity, and you're able to front load a lot of deduct. And let's say you're 55 years old and you can front load, instead of running the, 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 the commercial property, let's say it's a commercial property over 40 years, Let's say you can front load the 20% of those deductions immediately. Mm -hmm. You're going to have 10 years of tax-free income, right? I mean, that's attractive also. That's where I think I, we really need to have people understand that, yes, there could be immediate tax deduction and an offset of your of other income, mm -hmm. or it could set you up to have tax-free income for many, many years, especially if we think tax rates are going to go up, which we do believe they will. So that the cool thing about the cost, if it's a property that someone's going to buy and hold and someone will inherit it one day, the cost segregation study might make sense, even if it doesn't provide that first year pop. If I told you, hey, you're going to buy a, a building and for the next 10 years, any income you get from it's tax-free, that's pretty attractive, especially in those high-tax states. Now, some of the states don't honor bonus depreciation, which we're not going to, this is, this is a federal tax podcast that we're, we're talking about. So yeah, it's a great point, Chris. And you're right. I have um, I have clients who are working with the CPA, and you know we'll we'll run the numbers. They'll take those numbers and then go chat with their CPA, who will say, "Well, no, you can't use this, or uh, there's no benefit here," without really looking at the big picture. Because one, there are strategies to potentially get it to apply, but secondarily, let's look at the plan for what to do here. One of the incredible things about Costag is that you can actually go back, you can apply cost seg to properties you've owned for, I mean, forever. Actually, there's no time limit on it. Typically, we're like, look, you know, if it's been five, six, seven years, that's about as far back as you probably want to go. And it can create a, a, a windfall of tax savings in the current tax return because you don't have to amend. The IRS actually allows you to make a change and pull the benefit onto the next tax return. But for people who are buying assets in the current year, the only caveat to that is you have to file a Form 3115 to do that onto a subsequent tax return if it's not in the current year, which is fine. But that's usually about another $900 or you know CPA is typically about $1,000 to complete a 3115. So I tell people, if you think you want to do your cost seg, and they'll say, well, I think I can't use it this year. I'm going to be able to use it next year. So I'm just going to do the study next year. And I always tell them, but, but then you got to file 3115. It's like $1,000 more. Just do it now because to Chris's point, it's going to carry forward and offset that future income that you're generating. And even if it is passive, it becomes a suspended loss. So it has application, let's say, if you sell an asset or you have some other gain situation where that suspended loss is sort of standing there just waiting to be applied. So those are that, factors to, to always think that, about. That's a great point because you're creating, even if you're creating a passive activity loss, it could be used to offset other passive activity gains in the future. 
The other point that you made is I call the I call the strategy the get out of jail free card. <laughs> if so, if you're listening to this podcast and you purchased a property of some type from September 2017 up until now, even if you didn't do a cost segregation study the year you placed the asset in a service, you can still do a cost segregation study in, on another tax year. And, and yes, there's some more tax compliance cost to that, maybe a thousand dollars. But but let's let's say your income was a hundred thousand, and this year it's five hundred thousand. This might be the year to use that that cost segregation study, uh, assuming you can use it in the current year. So the point is, when you're working with a tax pro and you have rental properties, or if you're listening to this podcast right now and you have rental properties that you've purchased, especially over the last four years. Don't feel like, oh, I missed an opportunity. That opportunity mm -hmm. is still sitting with us. And sometimes it might be a blessing in disguise that you didn't take advantage of it right away. And then so and sometimes there, you know, there's there's other, you know, people people get all excited about muni bonds because it's tax free. Well, what about real what about real estate being tax free, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's you know, and then obviously the lowest hanging fruit is gonna be someone that especially when we're talking about the real estate space that is either a real estate professional status or short, or it's going to be the short-term rental loophole and they're going to use that this year. We've run into yeah. situations where someone bought a short-term rental property, let's say in 2022, they had a third party managing it and for some, you know, whatever reason, they decided that they're going to take over management of it in 2023. They are going to have, they are going to meet the short-term rental loophole since they don't have that third party manager. Well, guess what? You could do the cost side in 23, even though you bought the property in 22. Now, that fact pattern is going to be worth it, as Heidi mentioned, to, fi to file the what's called a Form 3115. So what's happening from a technical perspective is the IRS is saying, we're going to allow you to do an automatic change of accounting method to reset your depreciation schedule. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it creates that change. And Common questions. I mean, I'll hit on a couple of things because these these are questions I get every single day. First off, the amazing thing is the cost seg. Let's say someone bought a property in 2023. It does not have to be done before December 31st to, to apply it to the 2023 tax return. It just has to be done before you file the tax return. So let's say you extend and you file in October of 2024. You can still do a cost seg before that date, and it's going to apply to your 2023 tax return and tax liability. So that's a huge, like, a, you know, it's timely right now. Hopefully this podcast lives on for a long time. Um, it's going to apply every year to think about this. But right now, it's the end of the year, and people are like, oh, gosh, I have to hurry and get this done. I have two weeks. Here. Nope, we've got plenty of time. You're going to get it. The other thing that we hear people get confused on is the bonus depreciation. This year, 2023, it's 80%. Next year, it's 60%. The fear is if I don't get the cost seg done before December 31st, I'm going to lose out on 80% bonus depreciation and it's going to be 60. No, no, no. The bonus depreciation applies to the date the asset was acquired and placed in service. So if you bought that asset in March of 2022, and you didn't do a cost seg yet, we do the cost seg now, but 2022 had a 100% bonus. You get the 100% bonus because that's what applied in 2022. So the bonus is always applying to the date of the purchase, not the date we do the study. 
So I, I like to tell people that and put that out there so I can share this podcast and have these common questions answered right off the bat. That's a great point. And that's what we talk to clients in, in the teaching tax flow system. One of the attributes of each strategy, the one that's a P means post end of the year. So this cost seg doesn't have to be done until we file the return next year. And there's a lot of times, that's why in our private practice, two thirds of our clients are extensions because I want to see, our team wants to see what the tax year looks like without it. The other thing to remember, and I know this, we're not trying to dive in the weeds too much, but understand this. If you do a cost segregation study, we've run into situations where someone had 300,000 of income. They bought a million dollar cabin and have $350,000 worth of bonus depreciation. In that case, you can actually elect out of some of the bonus depreciation based on asset class to be a real technical. So you've got five, seven, and 15 year asset class where we bait. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh gosh, this guy's getting a little too tactical. We can kick the can down the road on some of the cost segregate or some of the bonus depreciation if we want, if it if you're not going to be able to take advantage, if, if, if it exceeds your actual income in that year. So the cost size study is just a, an awesome thing. We So a lot of times we pair it with in the teaching tax flow system, a green diagnosis. So let's say someone Let's say that situation was $300,000 of income, 350 of a cost seg deduction that you can take. Let's do a Roth conversion. Let's get money out of those pre-tax accounts and have them grow tax-free. So if you're listening, my call to action for you is if you've purchased a property in the last four years, let us know. We want to help you out. And, and the other thing is if your tax professional is not sure about a cost segregation study, that's normal. This is something that unless you run in the real estate circles you're really not used to. That's okay. We're ha happy to help them out and give them the education they need. Yep, 100%. That's a great point because I, I get that question a lot. Um, and, and my advice is, look, we do a tremendous amount of continuing education. Our goal is to also help the CPA industry better understand these practices and the strategies for deploying those. CPAs, you know, I try to explain them. It's very much like uh, the medical space. Uh, if you look at that as expecting your family practice doctor to diagnose that you've got, um, you know, a blown knee and you have to do a knee replacement, you're not going to have your family practice doctor do that. And they're not going to try to tell you all the ins and outs of it. They're going to refer you to the specialist. And the tax world is as hard as it is to wrap our heads around. It's probably as complex as the human body. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and so, as long as you have a CPA that's open and willing to work with partners, work with specialists, that's really where we come together to work together for the greater good of the taxpayer and make sure those strategies are all implemented. Awesome. Yeah, and as we kind of wrap here, I know we're, we can kind of talk, Katie, as you mentioned, you could talk for hours on this one. I do have two questions. I promise they won't lead us down too much of a, of a rabbit hole. Um, but the first one, I know we kind of alluded to it a little bit. What's the difference or really, is there a difference between if somebody were to buy a um, a pre-owned home, so an existing, you know, they're buying a home off the MLS, something that's been around for a bit, versus a new construction? Is is there a difference in that, the way that you guys approach a cost seg, or is it very similar in a sense? Is it easier, more difficult? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, from the cost seg standpoint, it's uh, it's for, for a, an owner, let's say, it's very similar. On the back end for us, our analysis is done entirely different. Uh, the way that the breakdown of assets is done is a completely different process for new construction versus uh, versus uh, acquiring an existing building. 
But for the taxpayer on the front end, it's completely the same. The benefit is still almost exactly the same. Um, it, and we're always looking at what was the basis, the tax basis, which ultimately is what was your cost for that building, whether you built it or whether you uh, you acquired it. And that's really the number that we're working with on the cost seg side. Awesome. And then here's my crazy question, which ironically enough, probably about 12 minutes ago, I get a, I get a lot of emails. Um, <laughs> but this one was talking about, uh, long story short, eliminating blight in certain areas and why investors should consider alternative properties is actually their term they use for it. And they reference container homes, which I love mm -hmm. container homes. Mm -hmm. So as wild as it sounds, is there any... Can you basically can you do a cost seg if you decided to build a container home? As random as that sounds, it, yeah, that, that's a it's a good discussion point actually that I've not had in other discussions. Um, there is an interesting definition as to what constitute real estate or real property according to the tax code versus what is defined as movable or temporary. So those are the things that we look at when we're saying, what is the benefit of a cost seg and is a cost seg needed? In a container home, it's typically a permanent structure, assuming you know they're taking in some containers, building it, building around it, putting it on a lot. And it you, know, you almost can't even tell they're made out of containers. Uh, if the containers have wheels and you're going to park it like it's a tiny home and you're going to go park it somewhere and technically you could hook something up and drag it out of there, it's not considered real estate. It's actually considered personal property. The whole thing is just a write-off. Um, if it's permanently installed, it's considered real estate. It could look exactly the same. The, the, um, the other comparison that we deal with and actually have this conversation more than on the container home one is mobile home parks. Mm -hmm. Mobile home parks are all the rage right now because the tax benefit with cost seg is just crazy. Um, that is one of the things we discuss. Do If you're buying a mobile home park, are you buying the actual homes that are there or is it just the lots and the owners own the homes and they're renting sort of the lot from you? Uh, then if you do own some of those homes, are they movable or are they permanently like set on a foundation or are they, you know, maybe there's a skirt around them, but technically you could pull it up you hook up and drive it out. <laughs> uh, so completely different tax treatment. But uh, the ones that are considered movable or temporary, uh, pretty good tax benefits related to that. Right. And the thing is, Jeremy, you got other like a, a, a container home is probably not going to be very expensive either. Mm -hmm. So that we've got to factor in is it worth doing the study? But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I it, thought it's I, interesting. I mean, mobile home parks do lend themselves really well for cost seg studies because of all of the common area. Uh, there's just a lot of lot of factors involved, but absolutely. You know, when I asked that question, I almost, I had a moment there where I'm like, I might've stumped the experts, but of course not. <laughs> of, of course you have the, the very educated and correct answer to that, right? So I appreciate that. And it was just funny. I see that come across and, and again, I, I get a lot of random emails on random stuff that I'm like, oh, it's actually kind of fitting towards us. Yeah, so that's funny. And I, I oh. love how they the um the timing of this like serendipitous uh questions pop up at just the right time. Absolutely. Well and on that note too, I know we can talk on this forever. We absolutely will have you back. Um we're just gonna start throwing things on your calendar so you can't get away 
away sure. from us. Kind of like what I do to Chris. I just send him an invite, add it to the calendar. There, he's he's there. He just kind of pops yeah. up like a genie out of a bottle. Sure. Uh, well, but... what I say is next time you're in Vegas, we all need to get together. We'll just record it. We'll all sit on the couch and have a cool podcast, little banter session. Definitely on the uh, the TTF Roadshow. We're, 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 we're actually, we're setting our calendar up right now, trying to look at different conferences and, and opportunities, but definitely want to get to Vegas or, or if you get to Nashville, uh, we'll, we'll get together. And yeah, we are so fortunate to have you as part of the show. Um, and it's, we, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. As I said, I, I love joining you guys. It's always fun. I love our conversations. So it's always a pleasure and I look forward to continue working with you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners here, I will drop some links in the show notes as always. Um, echoing what Chris said a little bit earlier on too, if, if anybody has any questions on cost segregation studies as a whole or any of the topics that we touch on, feel free to always reach out to us. Um, I mean, I could sp- speak firsthand. Heidi and her team over there are fantastic. And and Heidi, if I'm not mistaken too, you guys do offer um, really a, a kind of introductory call even to see if these properties are a fit for a cost seg, right? No obligation, such and yes. such calls. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we charge a fixed fee based on the kind, the type of property and the location. We look at a few factors. Um, we want to look at those numbers. We want to provide owners and investors the all of the facts as close as we can to what the actual results would be. And then we say, please, let's sit down or you need to sit down with your CPA Plug this into your your tax planning scenario. Look at what you're estimating for income and really explore what the benefit is, how you can utilize the depreciation and what's really the best option for you going forward. Uh, So that's what I always recommend. We can do those relatively easy. And one other tidbit I want to add before we close. People ask me, here's my free advice. People ask me, what are the things I should look at when I'm looking to buy a property? The number one thing Pull the tax card and see what the land value is. Because more and more over the last four years, probably two, three years, some areas, California, of all places, I don't know what happened with the property tax assessor in Reno, Nevada, but he's decided the land is worth gold. So you may buy an asset and pull it up and see that the land is valued at 60% of your acquisition price. And that means 60% of that purchase price, you cannot depreciate at all. So there's my little, like, here's my free advice of the day. If you are looking to buy an asset, look to see what your land value is before you close so you know what you're getting into. Because me personally, if I'm in it for the depreciation, I am not buying an asset that has 60, 70, 80% to land. So check that out before you close. It's going to be a big game changer if you make sure you got one that's got low land value. Literally what we said for all of our listeners here, back to our little blockbuster reference, you can rewind this podcast and listen to that advice. It's a lot easier than plugging a VHS tape in the good old rewinder, clicking it twice, breaking the tape, and then having to buy another one. It's a lot easier here in 2023. So true. that, that being said, we will absolutely have you back, Heidi. As I mentioned, we will be touching on this topic time and time again any updates we will absolutely put them out for everybody and like we always close with same time same place back here next week on the teaching tax flow podcast thanks everybody for hanging out with us on today's episode of the podcast as we dove into those cost sags and heidi was really really giving us some great information and of course chris is a wealth of information on the tax side 
Great conversation. I had a good time. Hopefully you did as well. Even if you had a good understanding or were completely new to cost segregation studies, hopefully now you feel better than you did 25, 30 minutes ago. That's the goal. Hopefully we accomplished that. But also, as Chris had mentioned, any questions at all, drop us a line, shoot us an email, hello at teachingtaxflow.com. We're happy to direct you over to Heidi's team if that's a fit. Um, They are a fantastic, fantastic organization to work with. Wealth of information. Obviously, Heidi just was the tip of the iceberg or got us, you know, just a little bit of an insight on what they do. They do some fantastic work, are fantastic to work with. So enough about them, enough about us. Let's talk about you. So end of the year is upon us. If you haven't realized that yet, you have bigger problems. It's about to happen. So that being said, go back a few episodes. We talked a little bit about those year-end strategies. Um, Check them out. You still have time to do a couple of those. I know Chris had a couple favorites in there that he had mentioned. So be sure to check those out. Again, let us know if you have any questions. And always be be sure to join that Defeating Taxes private Facebook group. DefeatingTaxes.com will send you directly there. This is your private invite. So that being said, see you very soon. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.